Welcome to the One and O podcast, hosted by Joe Cook and Brad Kellner. The One and O podcast is part of the Everyone Gets a Trophy podcast channel. Today on the One and O podcast, we will discuss where Texas, Tom Herman, and several Longhorn football players fit into the growing national story surrounding the Black Lives Matter movement in the wake of George Floyd's death. We'll also go through who we expect to lead the Longhorns in several statistical categories next year before discussing the sports that are returning to action in the near future amid the COVID-19 pandemic. Listen to both our show and Everyone Gets a Trophy, hosted by Kevin Dunn and Scipio Tech. Subscribe to our channel wherever you get your podcasts, and please leave us a review to let us know what you'd like to hear us talk about. And if you'd like to contact us directly, send us emails at everyonegetsatrophy at gmail.com with the number one. That's everyonegetsatrophy at gmail.com. And of course, the One and O podcast would not be possible without the following sponsors. Audio, visual, consultations, 512-255-8678. The phone number to call to get the home TV and surround sound setup of your dreams. Sports are coming back. Make sure your TV setup is done the right way in the comfort of your own home with the best in the business, AV Consultations. Once again, 512-255-8678. And this podcast is also brought to you by Altstadt Brewery, Altstadt Beer. It is German beer brewed in Central Texas and the absolute best beer that you can find all across the state of Texas. Available in the Austin area, also the DFW Metroplex and Houston as well. Pick up a six-pack wherever beers are sold. It's Altstadt Beer. No impurities, no regrets. Joe. So basically, Brad, within the the last week, week and a half, I'd say most of the country has become familiar with or has read about and familiarized themselves at least somewhat with the growing topic of police treatment of minority people in this country, the Black Lives Movement, the, excuse me, the Black Lives Matter movement, and just overall the intersection of where these social issues, you know, have effect in everybody's daily lives. And everybody includes you, it includes me, uh, and it includes Tom Herman and the Texas football team. And we, you know, most of the time we tend to talk about on the field stuff, like who's blocking well and, you know, who made a good throw, made a good tackle. But, you know, this is, we also talk about the Texas football program. And in these past couple weeks, the Texas football program has brought itself to the forefront of conversation about this issue in the United States. And, you know, a lot of, it's a very charged issue. It's a very, it's a emotional issue for so many people. And there are conflicting viewpoints on the best ways to move forward with this. And and there are also viewpoints that don't want to move forward with any changes. But despite all of that, Texas has moved forward in this past week and for the most part seems to have nailed every single thing about handling this, this issue, about speaking about it publicly, about a variety of different things related to Black Lives Matter, uh, police treatment of minorities, police treatment of people, American citizens, and so forth. They seem to have gotten everything right about it in the past week, and that stems from Chris Del Conte, to Tom Herman, to even individual players. Yeah, I tend to agree. And it's been a pretty monumental week for Texas Longhorn football. A very heavy, a very emotional week as well. 
But it all started last Monday, so we're recording this on Monday, June 8th, so last Monday, June 1st, when Tom Herman had his appearance on the Colin Cowherd National Radio Program. Talked a lot about Texas football, but the last question Cowherd asked Tom Herman was about, you know, how do you tell your parent, your players and the parents of those players that you're going to take care of their kid amidst all of this unrest, the civil unrest that's going on right now. And Tom Herman gave an answer that was more than three minutes long, but it was incredibly powerful. I thought he absolutely crushed it. And Colin Cowherd was damn near in tears by the end of Tom Herman's answer. And everything Tom Herman has said over the last week, I've agreed with wholeheartedly, and I think he's done a phenomenal job of representing the University of Texas. You know, say what you will about the results. Say what you will about what he's been as a head coach at the University of Texas. Joe, I don't know if I've ever been prouder as a Texas alumna to have Tom Herman representing this university than I have been over the last seven days or so. And you're right, from Chris Del Conte on, to the coaching staff, to the players on this football team, obviously you had the march from DKR to the Capitol this past Thursday. It's been a powerful week, but I think the University of Texas has handled it, handled it about as well as they could have possibly handled it. Exactly. And I think you mentioned about, you know, say what you will about Tom Herman's on the field coaching. And I think that is a, it should be, and B is the primary uh, aspect of which he will be judged about his football, about him as the head coach of Texas, whether you won or lost. That's just what football is. And that's the way head coaching at a place where you're paid $6 million a year to head coach should go. But they're like any other head football coach of any uh, big program, national spotlight program. There are so many other responsibilities on Tom Herman on a week by week basis. And not to say that Tom Herman should become our moral authority going forward. I don't think anybody's saying that, but it's nice to know that people who are in publicly funded, I mean, technically public, 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 ah, what's the right word? He's technically a public employee. Mm -hmm. So public employees who have this big a platform who make this much money who have this type of influence on the young people day to day on the day to day lives of young people should be able to go out and talk about this issue and how they are dealing with it inside their program, inside their walls and how that can be applied to the rest of the, you know, the rest of the world. And so, yeah, it's He's going to be judged on his win and loss record, but he's also going to be judged on how he handled all the other aspects of being a football coach. Yeah. And it's, you know, you know, if it helps to have the, okay, well, he did everything else correctly when they're grading that. And I'm not saying that's his primary motivation. If it is, then that kind of calls into question so many things we've said about him, but it's definitely something where, you know, football coaches build themselves as, as molders of men, as, you know, oftentimes they have to be father figures. They have to be the parent when a lot of these kids go away from home for the first time in their lives. And so if you're going to set yourself up as that, bill yourself as that in public relations and media on the recruiting trail, you know, everywhere, then you need to live it. And at least Tom Herman has showed in these past, in this past week, week and a half that he does live it. And I think it has to do not only with some personal experiences, which I think he mentioned in that cowherd interview, but just, what he is and just being a human being and knowing that a good human being looks out for others in society, no matter what they look like, because that's what good human beings do. 
Absolutely. And you brought up the personal experience for Tom Herman. He mentioned it in that Cowherd interview, and he's talked about this before in the past as well, uh, that he didn't have a father for most of his childhood. And it was his coaches, his football coaches, that basically were father figures for him and helped him grow up in this world. And he's sort of taking that role right now. I mean, there's always a little bit of that as a head football coach. You talked about it, Joe, really at any level, but especially in college when uh, these student-athletes are going away for the first time. They're leaving home for the first time. They're away from their families and the comfort zones that they're used to, and they've got to deal with things and experience things that they've never dealt with or experienced before. Normally it's tough, but especially with what's going on in our country right now, uh, that makes it even tougher as a head football coach to to be relatable and to just sort of be that father figure, that parental figure, and always be there for your players. And I think the one thing that Tom Herman has said that's been maybe the most poignant and the most important to me is, look, it's been a it's been a pretty crazy week. I mean, not just with the Texas football program, right? Across this entire country, you've got really the combination of three perfect storms going on right now with the pandemic, with the economic downturn, and of course the civil unrest that we have in our country. I mean, these are unprecedented times. Hell, I would kill for some precedented times right now. I would love to just get back to some normalcy right here. But, you know, this whole week has been very, very crazy but hopefully it's creating change, and I think it is creating some change, at least in the way we view the systematic problems that we have in this country. But what Tom Herman said is two weeks from now, three weeks from now, two months from now, six months from now, a year from now, something has to be done. This can't just be words. This can't just be conversations that we're having. We actually have to turn these thoughts into action, and hopefully six months, a year, two years down the road, we're not having to have conversations like these a conversation about a police killing an unarmed black man you know that's we're trying to get beyond that so Tom Herman saying that hey we need to actually make sure what we're talking about and what we're doing which is all great but it turns into results uh, I think that's very true I think that's very poignant and hopefully he's uh, he's dead on about that yeah and, I, and it and for Texas it definitely did turn into results like you mentioned uh, one was a little you know had maybe some coaches wondering uh, what was going on for sure at first, but eventually that turned into, you know, meaningful, uh, meaningful movement and protest by the players. But the first thing I was talking about was Brennan Eagles, who I believe he on Wednesday, uh, he had a long note that he posted on Twitter uh, and it, it, it was teeming with emotion. This whole issue is teeming with emotion. And I think it's fair to say that Eagles note was teeming with emotion. He was angry he didn't know what to do. And, and one of the things that he, I believe, suggested that he put, would consider and maybe other college players should consider is, you know, what if we boycott? What if we, what if we don't play? What if we show how angry we are about this issue, about this problem in the United States? What if we show how angry we are by not playing? And that probably caught people's attention and, you know, there's a lot of different ways to look at it, some with a negative viewpoint of Brennan, some with a negative viewpoint of people our age and the youth in general, and some who were understanding but at the same time hoping that, you know, maybe he doesn't, he doesn't sit out and play, he doesn't sit out and not play this year. I think that, you know, maybe Brennan was caught in the emotions of the moment, uh, it's, which is very easy to do, but... You remember one of the other things going on in college sports right now is the name, image, and likeness conversation, and mm-hmm. that how many, how much these players have a platform now 
and how much they are not able to benefit off of their name, image, and likeness, how the NCAA is <laughs> seemingly moving forward to try and alleviate those issues. But here's the thing. If Brennan Eagles sits out, he doesn't become, you know, his, his voice doesn't become that of Brennan Eagles, the football player. If you sit out, that platform that you had that you built through hard work it isn't the same anymore if you don't go out there and wear number 13 on Saturdays. I, I don't think that's any, there's any problem with that issue. I think that's just kind of a statement of the facts. And I think it seems like Brennan kind of came back down to earth because I was scrolling away on Instagram the next day, saw that he went live and he was working out with Sam Ellinger and a few hmm. other players. So it doesn't seem exactly like this is something that's holding him back that he's, super hardly considering like not even showing up to the facilities or stuff like that. But, you know, Brennan's made some emotional decisions in his past. He, you know, he decided to sit out of practice and therefore set out the TCU game last year. And this seems like another one. And I completely understand where he's coming from. I know, I, I don't know personally, I can't empathize, but I can sympathize with, with what Brennan is feeling. And I, it seems like cooler heads have prevailed and that a boycott does not seem like it's a tactic that Texas football players will use this upcoming season. Yeah, I was very curious to see how that all unraveled right after that social media post, which came late Wednesday night. You know, Brennan Eagle saying, I'll be damned if you think I'm going to play another snap again until we get this fixed. Oh, he tweeted that 93 days away from the start of the Texas football season. Uh, this is a centuries-long problem in this country. There's no way in hell it was going to be fixed within 93 days. So, you know, if not, a whole lot changes between now and then. And hopefully things are changing once again. But I don't know how much change you can create in just three months' time. You know, what was Brendan Eagles going to do? And also, what happens if teammates joined him? Or what happens if no teammates joined him? And they kind of, you know, hung him out to dry on this thing. I think you're probably right with the cooler heads prevailing. I think that's going to end up happening, and we will see Brennan Eagle suiting up now, what, 89 days from now when Texas opens up the season against South Florida on September 5th. But, you know, I, I, I thought the statement was very well thought out, very articulate from Brennan Eagles, and you're, you, you can tell that this is something that's been eating at him for a while, and you could tell that he put a lot of time into these thoughts and putting together this statement, so I will commend him on that. And on the surface, I agree with you, Joe. I give Brennan Eagles retired or left the Texas football program, whatever you want to call it. His platform wouldn't be as big, but he could be the start of a movement if he really wanted to. Like, if he was able to convince other Texas players or just other college football players or, hell, other student-athletes from around the country to boycott their sports until something is done with the systematic racism that we have in this country, then his platform would have gotten bigger than if he was playing at the University of Texas. And, oh, by the way, he would have always had a former Texas Longhorn wide receiver mentioned next to him. So that's always going to carry some weight. So, yeah, by himself, I think you're right, Joe. Like, platform wouldn't have been as big, but... If he dedicated 100% of his time to trying to get more student-athletes on board or just more people on board with whatever mission or whatever he's trying to accomplish with his mission, then I think his platform could grow a lot bigger than just having to talk to reporters a couple of times a week during the football season. That's true. I, I, it may not be something we agree on completely there, but I, I think that I, I just feel like if you want to – continue to have this strong platform then 
unless you're completely sure that the one you're stepping down on can be built higher than the one you're on, it might not be the smartest place to, to move from. But I, again, that what seemed to be, you know, a, a, maybe a, a quick thinking or not quick thinking, because we, we've laid out that it was well thought out, but, you know, kind of the first response to the events of the previous week, the unrest in the country, that Eagles was kind of the first of that. The, the second was, I think, received publicly far more, far better, and also was kind of that first sign of what substantive change from student athletes can and should look like. And that was, I believe, on Thursday, uh, Texas players who were in Austin uh, made their way to one of the, uh, and I'm missing a few of the details here, I'm sure, but I know overall they made their way from uh, DKR Memorial Stadium to the state capitol uh, to join other protesters in uh, their movement. And I think some of the videos from that were especially powerful. I, one of the ones I saw was from, Anwar Richardson, who, when he was showing his video, it was an APD police officer, I believe, who was there uh, speaking with the players, you know, trying to create a dialogue and talking about how, you know, we don't want this to be an issue as well. We, this is, this is not fun for all of us here in this time to have this issue come up, come up, come up and always be honest. They, I think it, what it showed was that there are so many people in all walks of life and all jobs on both, you know, on, on the police side of the issue and the non-police side of the issue who want to see change and who know that student athletes like those at Texas can do a great job in accelerating that change. And I think that's what you saw from the, pro, from the players joining the protest on Thursday. Yeah, we actually, on the triple option with RBKD on the horn, we had the opportunity to speak with that police officer that you were talking about, a guy by the name of Jeremy mm -hmm. Bohannon, actually a former college football player at Washington State uh, back in the early 2000s. And he actually went up against Texas in the Holiday Bowl in 2003 when Washington State beat the Longhorns. So we talked to him a little bit about that as well. But, uh, yeah, it was a phenomenal conversation, and it was a pretty powerful scene. I mean, the entire march from the stadium to the state capitol with players, with coaches, with support staff, with the APD, and also UTPD. And then as soon as they got there, kneeling for nine minutes, uh, signifying how long the Minneapolis police officer had his knee on the back of George Floyd's neck when he killed him. Uh, that was a pretty powerful moment, and you got some pretty impassioned speeches as well from the APD officer, Jeremy Bohannon, like you talked about, Caden Stearns. I saw Jason Washington uh, the director of player development, I believe, is his title now at UT. Kevin, Kevin Washington. Kevin Washington, excuse me. Uh, Jason, who is Jason Washington? Old corners coach. He's in Starkville. Ah, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Sorry about that mix-up, coaches. But, uh, yeah, very powerful speeches from players, from coaches, from police officers. It was a pretty uh, powerful moment. I know I keep using that uh, that word, but that's probably the best way to describe it. And that sort of goes into, okay, don't just talk about it, be about it, right? Don't just tweet about it, be about it. And the Texas football program pretty much did that all last week. But, uh, man, you could tell that this is uh, an issue that is hitting home with a lot of the members of that football program. And while a lot of football teams across the country have had negative stories come out about coaches, uh, assistant coaches, 
former staff members, former players, uh, Texas has looked just about as good as you could possibly look from a PR standpoint. And I know, you know that's that's not the goal of this thing. It's just to try to impress people from a PR standpoint. The goal is to create change, and I think Texas has done just about as good, if not better, than any other college sports team uh, in the country in doing that over the last seven or eight days. I completely agree. It is not it is not about PR. It's about actually trying to help people and make change for, you know, the bettering of all Americans' lives. But, yeah, there is a positive to it. And, of course, the other thing that I think is equally as remarkable is I'm holding a book in my hand right now that I studied at UT called Integrating the 40 Acres, mm. the 50-Year Struggle for Racial Equality at the University of Texas. And one of the chapters is about the integration of the athletic programs. And I believe the first real integration movement that happened at Texas had to do, I believe, with the Houston Tillotson University track team being able to use the UT track uh, at certain times and then black UT students being able to use the UT track. And that was, you know, scratch tooth and clawed for made incredibly difficult just to run around on a track. Mm. And, of course, Texas is famously known for being, you know, the last uh, national championship team to be composed only of white people. Uh, you know, it's, you know, Texas, the state of Texas has plenty of, uh, you know, histories with, with racial segregation and, and other, you know, atro- atro- atrocious things that our country once looked down upon approvingly and now no longer does the same. And, you know, even the University of Texas had, you know, uh, issues over statues of people within the past decade and, and whether they had places on college campuses or not. And that's a lot, a lot of pain and a lot of, you know, trying very hard and having to go through some very difficult processes just to make some semblance of progress. And to contrast all that with what I'm holding in this book to some of the to all of the things that both University of Texas coaches, players, and administrators have said and done within the past week, it's a wild, you know, divergence to think about that this is all happening at the same place, and that maybe that UT hmm. has, you know, turned a a leaf to try and you know not erase the past because I don't think that's healthy, but to show that it has grown from the past and become a place that is, you know, when it says what starts here changes the world. I mean, the, the, the what is, can be anybody and literally can be anybody. Yeah. I think it's interesting to, you know, juxtapose that compared to where the University of Texas was 30, 40, even 50 years ago. I like that. That's an interesting parallel right there, Joe. And hopefully that can happen across this entire country. I mean, we can't erase the past, but we can control the future and hopefully the changes and what we're doing in the present are going to impact positively impact our future in this country Uh, we've got a long way to go but uh, man it's been a it's been a crazy week obviously the 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 riots the looting I don't really condone any of that and I think that kind of takes away from the message and there's a lot of opportunists who are just flying from all over the world to try to loot and try to riot and try to cause problems but just the protesting that we've seen and the voices that we've heard over the last week, starting here in Austin. I mean, hell, there's been protests here every day 
over the last seven days. Mm-hmm. They were going on yesterday as well. I assume they're going to be going on downtown at some point today, too. And we can't change the past, but we can control the future. And uh, hopefully our future is going to be a whole hell of a lot better than what this past has been. Exactly. And I agree with you 100%. And I think that's a good place to mark the end of our conversation about the, the recent week that was. And maybe look forward to the Texas's on-field future a little bit and and answering some questions that you know we never know the answer to going into a certain year and on inside texas last week i believe on, on tuesday and thursday i posed a question to our message board who do you believe will lead the longhorns in rushing in 2020 and of course the options are the four main running backs that you know of keontae ingram uh, the veteran, Rashawn Johnson, the the upstart, Bijan Robinson, the five-star freshman, Daniel Young, the, the veteran. And then I also threw Sam Ellinger in there just mm. because, hey, he, he led the team in, in rushing before. Uh, he did it his freshman year. But that kind of created a new conversation. You know, who do you think ends up being the number one at this point? Who is the number one at this point? What does Sam's rushing volume look like? What does Bijan get? What is you know, up and down the depth chart, so many different questions. But still, going back to that, what do you, who do you, Brad, think is going to end up leading the Longhorns in rushing in 2020? I mean, Keontae Ingram is the obvious favorite, right? I mean, the guy who led this team in rushing last year, the guy who is most likely, once Texas does resume football activities, will be the number one running back on the depth chart for this football team. Hasn't been as consistent I think, as we would have liked over his two years at the University of Texas, but he's shown some flashes of brilliance, and you know, hopefully this time off has allowed him to get 100% healthy, and hopefully he could stay 100% healthy over the course of this year. So, man, I hate to cop out and just say Keontae Ingram, but I think he's the guy on the fast track to get the most carries, which will give him the most opportunities to lead this team in rushing. I think it would be a disaster if Sam Ellinger, is the leading rusher on this football team again. As great of a weapon as that is, maybe the best red zone weapon in all of college football, if it can get back to 2018 form, is Sam Ellinger's legs. But uh, he's not the type of guy who can pick up big chunks of yards on the ground, more of a powerful runner than uh, a guy who's liable to break one, and that's what Texas needs to be a successful offense in 2020. So I'm curious what Rojo brings to the table. He turned a lot of heads. He impressed the hell out of me. I think he became a fan favorite in year one just by his willingness to change from quarterback to running back right before the start of last year when Texas was dealing with all the injuries in the running back room. And then just the way he played, his selflessness over the course of the entire season was incredibly impressive. And now that he's had a full off well, I can't call it a full off season, I guess, because there hasn't really been an off season. But he's at least known what position he's going to play. He's known that he's going to be a running back for this football team this year. So I think uh, it seems like the only way for Rojo to go is up, and he was pretty damn impressive last year. So he's a guy to look out for if something does happen to Keontae Ingram. If he does get hurt, then uh, I'm excited to see what Roshan brings to the table. But I got to cop out, man. I hate to do this. I hate to go with the obvious choice, but I'm going Keontae Ingram as the leading rusher for Texas in 2020. You know, I did the same thing, and uh, 65% of the just under 500 people who voted also agreed with you. Uh, Keontae Ingram will be the guy leading the, the team in rushing yards. I think that's, I think that's what it's got to be, considering he's going to be the first guy 
off. Uh, he's going to be the first guy. He's going to be the starter, barring Rashawn Johnson, <laughs> becoming an even better running back than any of us could have imagined and taking that spot from him in fall camp. The thing I am really curious about is we know that under Tom Herman, they, they divvy up carries decently well. Some series belong to Rashawn, some are the number one, some series belong to number two, and it just, you know, kind of rotates between those guys. What I'm really curious about is, let's face it, Bijan Robinson is a five-star talent, and five-star skill players can really see the field early as long as they, you know, do the, the work expected of them uh, when they show up on campus and things like that. But Tom Herman, at least at Texas, I can't really recall a team where he had three viable running backs, running backs that split carries and did it so effectively. I mean, 2017, you had what the Daniel Young, Tennille Carter, Chris Warren for a little, just Kyle Porter. Mm. You, know, you know, you know the old saying: when you have five running backs, you have none, and that's kind of what it seemed like in 2017 yeah there were multiple running backs who were getting you know games carries but nobody was really standing out it was kind of rotating door of the position you go to 2018 and it's pretty much trey watson keontae ingram it is their show there's some limited rotation but not a lot 2019 you have uh keontae ingram rashawn johnson the third running back at least for herman at texas is kind of been Sam Ellinger and he's coming he doesn't come off the field so the thing I'm curious about is because I believe Bajon Robinson is good enough to make an impact right away I'm just curious you know where do you think Herman is going to play him how much time is he going to give to him because he's never really had to divvy up carries among three mm. and if you include Sam Ellinger four different backs at Texas with the amount of talent that they all have. Oy. So I think all three of those guys should be contending for snaps. It's just my main question is how are those snaps going to be allocated by coaches who haven't had to do this before? Well, that's a great point. And you also throw in a guy like Jordan Whittington, who is expected to play wide receiver, but a dude who can line up in the backfield. He has some experience playing running back and a guy who might take a couple of carries away from those three running backs that you talked about. You don't want to get into a situation like you had with the wide receiver room in 2017 when it almost felt like musical chairs and you couldn't figure out who the starters were or what the rotation was. I mean, you had that game against Oklahoma State uh, that went to overtime and on your biggest play, fourth down in OT in that game, Colin Johnson isn't even on the field. Like you can't, You can't rotate just for the hell of rotating. Now, hopefully, you take care of business against South Florida, and then, of course, in Week 3, you take care of business as well against UTEP, and you can get a feel for your running backs and a feel for your roster. But, man, if you've got a guy who's hot, don't take him out. I understand if you want to give him a play or two off just to spell him or give him a break, but don't just feel the need to, oh, we got to play all three running backs in this game because I promised them in mm-hmm. recruiting that B. John Robinson was going to play as a freshman. Like, you can't fall into that trap. you got to go with the hot hand and not just rotate just to rotate because that, complete, that can completely take your offense out of rhythm. That can, that can completely put it into a funk, and that's not what this football team needs. So, yeah. Bijan Robinson, a hell of a talent, the number one running back recruit in the country. The dude has to be able to play and make an impact right away. I mean, the talent is there for him to do that, and I hope he gets some opportunities to play early on. And hey, if he if he's the best, like 
you know, you can't feel obligated to Roshan Johnson or Keontae Ingram just because they've been here longer. Tom Herman talks about it all the time. Mm-hmm. He's preached it from day one. This is a meritocracy. I don't care if you're a freshman. I don't care if you're a grad transfer. I don't care how old you are, where you're from, any of that. If you're the best player, if you're one of our best 11, we're going to put you on the field. You're going to get the most playing time. Tom Herman actually has to practice what he preaches when it comes to that and just put his best players on the field at all times. And I'm with you. I'm, I'm very anxious to see what that running back room is going to look like because Tom Herman talked about it a couple of weeks ago, and he's mentioned it on a lot of these virtual chats. He might even talk to you about it. This is the best he's felt about a running back room in a long, long time. And this might be the most talented running back room that Texas has had since like the 05 National Championship team in the mid-aughts of mm-hmm. Texas Longhorn football. There's just experience. There's talent. There's depth. There's a lot there, and yeah, as a head coach, you got to find a way to best utilize those guys and get the most out of them. That's going to be a, a tall task for Tom Herman and Stan Drayton and Mike Yurcich. And yeah, this kind of seems to be the off season of at least off on the offensive side of the ball, good problems to have. Which of these offensive linemen do we replace with guys who are entering their redshirt sophomore or junior year in the program? Which of these talented running backs, whether a a true junior, a true sophomore who's taken to a position change excellently, or a true freshman who is a five-star top 25 in the country talent, which one do we play? You know, how good can our senior all-conference level quarterback be? Like, these are good problems to have, and it sounds like the running back one is just another on the list of them. However, on the other side of the of the problems list is maybe not the bad problems or the good problems, but kind of the the unknown problems. And that was the second question on Inside Texas last week about who leads the 2020 Longhorns in reception or in receiving yards. And of course, with more options, you're going to have a little bit more variety and answer. Uh, our Ian Boyd at Inside Texas is convinced if he plays, it's Brennan Eagles because of the emphasis that Mike Yersich places on taking shots with that boundary X receiver and also just making plays for that X receiver. I'm still kind of of the thought that the, you know, the Herman offense is still the Herman offense. The slot receiver is going to be in position to make a lot of plays and will continue to do so just like it's done in the past three years of the Tom Herman at Texas offense. But, you know, who do you believe of Brennan Eagles, Josh Moore, Marcus Washington, Jake Smith, Jordan Whittington, Troy O'Meary, Avante Woodard, Tariq Black, Kelvante Dixon, Dejon Harrison, or Kennedy Lewis, who do you have bringing down the most receiving yards in the upcoming season? Boy, not a lot of experience there. You gave a lot of names, and I know there's some talent in that wide receiver room, but not a whole lot of experience. Brennan Eagles, the only returning Longhorn receiver with more than 275 receiving yards from a season ago. So, You know, I'm with you in terms of your thought process, in terms of your logic. With what we've seen from Tom Herman over his three years here in Austin, I expect the H-wide receiver, whoever is in the slot, to get the majority of the touches, majority of the receptions for this football team. So I'm going to go with Jake Smith right now. Second leading returning receiver from a year ago. And I know he sort of hit a freshman wall midway through the season. He didn't play in a couple of games or barely played in a couple of games. And His numbers took a dip towards the end of the year. But I think he's going to have every opportunity to be the starting H-wide receiver for this football team. We saw some great things from him as a true freshman. 
I hate to go with the Shipley comparison, but he's been compared to both Shipleys, <laughs> and we know how much those guys did during their 10 years here in Austin. So I'll go with Jake Smith. Don't feel great about it, just like I don't feel great about the wide receiver room as a whole. I'll go with him, and then I'll go with Josh Moore as a wild card, just as a guy who has the potential mm. to maybe slide inside and be an H receiver. Or if Texas is in wow. some four wide receiver alignments, then maybe Josh Moore could get some touches as well. I think that dude's got a ton of talent. I know he didn't play last year. He might still be in the doghouse a little bit with Tom Herman and this coaching staff. But, man, if that guy gets on the field, I think he can make an impact. So Jake Smith will be my my top choice. And then the, uh, the wild card, the shot in the dark, I'll go with Joshua Moore. That is quite the wild card. I'm with you on Jake Smith because, like I mentioned, I'm still kind of – Hey, it's it's the H until it's not, and I think the opposite side of that is people people also right behind Jake Smith thought it would be Brennan Eagles. Just probably after reading a lot of Ian's emphasis on the X receiver uh, in Mike Yersich's offense and knowing what he's done both at Oklahoma State and even at Ohio State, even though he wasn't calling plays. But you know, it's a lot easier to uh, to dance with the devil you know than the, the devil you don't. And I know that uh, I've probably combined three different colloquialisms <laughs> there. But, uh, you know, we've seen the ball go to the guy closest to the quarterback more often than not in this offense. And I know Mike Yersich may have a little bit of a different philosophy, but Tom Herman has reiterated this is, you know, the Texas offense. It's not the Tom Herman offense or the – Mike Yersich offense, it's the Texas offense, or however he wants to describe it. He doesn't like uh, applying these, you know, very personal personal uh, labels to his offense. So I think you're still going to see a lot of what he likes in getting the slot receiver the ball, maybe not as much of an emphasis on RPOs because that seemed like a Tim Beck thing, but it's just hard for me to see that that changing. But what that does lead us to is, you know, we're talking about all these different guys that don't have experience. Brandon Eagles, you know, he wasn't the starter last year except for a few games, and that was because of injury. Uh, and when he wasn't the, the starter, he was often at a spot at Z. That isn't, you know, it's usually the furthest from the ball, and it's not easy to get, you know, rack up catches there. Uh, so Texas kind of has this, you know, experience, maybe not issue, but concern at least at the wide receiver group and that lends us to uh talking about a recent addition to the portal uh tyrell shavers a member i believe of the 2017 class mm-hmm. from lewisville up in dfw hey joe uh, originally went to yeah can i cut you off real quick and just ask you what your followers at inside texas said about that poll question who do they think is going hey. to lead texas in receiving next year yeah, absolutely. They thought out of the 487 who voted, 227 thought it'd be Jake Smith and 188 thought it'd be Brennan Eagles. So 46%, 38%. And then next closest was Jordan Winnington at 6%. So it's basically, it was a two horse race there with Brennan Eagles and, and Jake Smith for most receiving yards right behind them was Whittington. And then even Tariq Black, he was behind Marcus Washington uh, right there with Josh Moore. So hmm. it, it, most of the people think it's one of the two that we brought up uh, and talked about most in our conversation. I'm a little bit surprised by that. Not that the top two is the top two, but I figured Brennan Eagles would almost be a runaway favorite 
And considering that he had, what, nearly three times the amount of receiving yards that Jake Smith did last year, and he's the seemingly obvious number one wide receiver for this football team going into 2020. That is a little bit surprising to me that uh majority of y'all's respondents chose Jake Smith over over Brennan Eagles. But anyways, okay, continue. Thank you. They may they, they may see it like I do, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, Tyrell Shavers uh, from Louisville 2017 joined the the Bama system, and as the Bama system tends to do, they got some really, really talented wide receivers, and several of them uh, went within the first couple of rounds this year. However, even though he's got a chance to find playing time uh, in the post-Tua Tagovailoa era at Alabama, uh, entering his redshirt junior year, decided to put his name in the transfer portal. And Texas is interested uh, several schools are interested because even though he has a very, very short track record uh, at the college level at Alabama, you know, being behind those stud receivers for the last few years, he was a physical specimen coming out of high school. I believe six five or six six uh, ran a blazing forty. I think in the four four range. And, you know, was a guy who needed to learn how to play wide receiver, but was an elite athlete and had things that you, you know, you couldn't teach coming out of the high school level. Well, he's decided to find a new home, potentially, and, and Texas is definitely kicking the tires on him. But with the addition of Tariq Black, or even just in general, do you think that someone like Tyrell Shavers, who <laughs> he's got a ton of potential but has very little production – do you think there there is or should be room for him in the wide receiver room at Texas? Hell yeah, there definitely should be. I mean, none of these guys outside of Brandon Eagles are really proven at all, and I'm not sure how proven Brandon Eagles really is. So I want to bring in as many bodies as I possibly can. You know, it's like lottery tickets, right? The more you have, the better chance you have to win. The more wide receivers you have in this wide receiver room, the better chance you have that a couple of them are going to strike gold and be impact players for this football team next year. So, yeah, I'm in on Tyrell Shavers. I I know he doesn't have a whole lot of production in college, only one catch for 20 yards during his time at Alabama, and that happened this past season. But learning under Nick Saban and also learning from guys like Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs and Devonta Smith and Jalen Waddell, I I assume he's picked up some stuff from those dudes. So I assume he's a better player than what he was three years ago coming out of high school when he already was – one of the top receiving prospects in the country in that class of 17, uh, 2017, like you talked about. So, yeah, he's a little bit unproven, but I would absolutely take a flyer. And for Tyrell Shavers, a guy who has the opportunity to play immediately, I mean, I'm looking at some of the other schools that are reportedly interested in him. I see TCU, I see Mississippi State, I see Central Florida, I've seen Baylor. Sam Ellinger is a better quarterback than any of the quarterbacks on those schools. And... Shavers can play immediately. He's got the chance to play with an NFL quarterback and maybe bolster up his stock. I mean, I, Shavers could technically go pro after this year. He could have gone right now if he wanted to. I don't know if that's going to happen because his numbers just haven't been there, and maybe he needs a couple of years worth of stats and tape to really catch the eye of NFL scouts. But, yeah, he got the opportunity to play at a program like Texas for a quarterback like Sam Ellinger. Uh, I think that's definitely enticing. And then Colin Johnson. Shavers isn't Colin Johnson, but he's 6'6", just like Colin Johnson was. And we know how 
great of a connection Sam Ellinger and Colin Johnson had over the last couple of years and just that catch radius that Colin Johnson had with his frame and his size and his length. If Tyrell Shavers has any of that or anything close to that, then he could be an impact player for this football team. So maybe I'm overrating him. Maybe I'm getting overexcited for a guy who has one catch in three years of college football. But yeah, if you're Texas, I absolutely would kick the tires on Tyrell Shavers. And if you're Shavers, a Texas native, I would absolutely consider coming to Texas. So the one thing on Shavers I may have to quibble with is I don't think he went into the portal as a graduate transfer. So unless he gets a, a waiver, I'm not exactly sure if he's immediately eligible. Mm. Uh, and Oh, no, he is as a graduate. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I, saw, I saw earlier that he was, but you never know. I mean, there's all sorts right. of differing reports with stuff like this. So if he is a graduate transfer, then yeah, it's, it will, he will be immediately eligible if he's got all his academic affairs and orders. I guess the question is how many years does he actually have? Uh, but, you know, that, that doesn't really matter. If you're taking a transfer, you want immediate help. Um, I, I'm not sure where I stand on this. I think the addition of Tariq Black makes this a little bit more difficult. Um, if you anticipate having wide receiver attrition this year for whatever reason, and you don't, you know, go in anticipating attrition, but it's part of college football and how it works, then yeah, maybe he's a good candidate to add. You like that physical nature that he brings, and also, you know, this is a head coach who has talked about trying to get more speed on the field at, at the skill positions. Four three nine seems pretty fast mm. to me, and I think you would want to add that. Uh, it's a question of if they have room, because I think they're right at the 85-man limit right now. And if they think he adds something that the, the room doesn't have. I, right now, don't know if he adds something that the room doesn't exactly have or is not made up for in other traits like the experience Tariq Black has and uh, like the you know ability that Brennan Eagles has. But, you know, like you mentioned, it is another lottery card or another lottery ticket. And being able to, you know, there's no salary cap in, in the NCAA. You can collect all the best talent that you want, and this may be a chance for them to do something like that. It, it, there is a little bit of redundancy by having taken Tariq Black, I think, because I think they profiled a similar positions, and I, I think some of the other receivers that he would be, you know, competing with also profiled that position, but. You know, if you're for competition, he's a fit otherwise, and you can make room on the roster for him, then, yeah, there's there's no shame in, in going for him and trying to add him to your roster. But we'll see. I, I don't know what stage of the process he is in. I do know that Texas is interested, but it seems like there are some other SEC programs who uh, are known for throwing the ball or at least have a coach known for throwing the ball a hell of a whole lot who – uh, could make a good inroad with them and hear some good news in the coming weeks. But, you know, I, I'm just – I'm not completely sold on Shavers. Now, if he was a guy that had like, you know, 15 – not say like, you know, 20 catches for 260 yards or something like that, it'd be a lot easier to sell me on, yeah. yes, let's go get this guy. And I understand, you know, the fact that he played behind Ruggs and Judy and Waddle and Smith at Alabama, and that's – you know, most wide receiver rooms look nothing like that in the country. But still, just one touch in special teams play over the past few years, that's that's not a lot of experience and you don't know maybe what you're getting with this guy. So I I don't think he's a must add, but I would, you know, not be opposed to seeing his name join the 
Texas mm-hmm. wide receiver room. Yeah, not a must-add, and I'm with you. I've got some questions about him as well, but come on, Joe. Two touches last year, 34 yards from scrimmage. Every time this guy touches the ball, he's 17 yards, man. He's a first-down machine. Who wouldn't want that on their football team? Bring him here. I guess Alabama doesn't want him. <laughs> yeah. Well, they've got a problem that Texas doesn't have, and that's too many damn good wide receivers. They're in a little bit of, yeah. a, of a different – like we just talked about it with the running backs. Texas feels great about the running back room, and it may be the most talented and deepest that it's been in a decade and a half here. Uh, wide receiver is – about as close to the exact opposite as you could possibly be. Uh, as you could possibly mm-hmm. be. I mean, even though the last decade has been pretty terrible for Texas football, needless to say, they've always had at least like one, if not two, wide receivers that were established and you felt pretty good about. It was usually, well, who the hell's throwing them the football? Like, can we get them the football? We know they're good, but who's throwing it? This year, it's like I, I don't, I don't know what's there. I don't know what's there. So that's why I'm at least intrigued. I just about anybody who's out there on the open market, even if they have the lack of production like Shavers does. Gotcha. Any other uh, Texas football topics that we need to hit on? No, that was, uh, was a good conversation. Glad you brought that up. That'll be fascinating to watch. You know, obviously not having spring football this year makes this a lot tougher to figure out. Try to figure out who's going to get the most carries, who's going to get the most snaps at wide receiver, at running back, at all of these positions. So we're, we're all... Kind of lost right now, unfortunately. It'll be fascinating to see what happens when these workouts get going and really once fall practice begins, who's getting the first team reps, who's getting the second team reps, and what these rotations look like. But until then, I guess it's all speculation, isn't it? Yeah, just just ready to get back to some sort of normalcy. And uh, we'll see what that looks like as this upcoming week. Uh, Texas players should be making their way. Anyone that weren't already on campus should be making their way back to campus and you know, maybe we'll start hearing a little bit more about, you know, in addition to all the extremely important things going on about the, in the world, maybe we'll start hearing a little bit more about football and, and other sports coming back, which I think will help a lot. And one of those other sports is the National Basketball Association. Yes, sir. Whereas other, uh, other leagues and players associations just constantly seem to trip over themselves. It, the NBA, led by Adam Silver, and the NBA Players Association with, I can't remember if it's official head or figurehead, kind of Chris Paul, um, in addition to the owners, have all worked out a deal to bring basketball back to America. And by America, I mean Disney World in Orlando, Florida. Uh, Bringing 22, um, this is going off a Woj article on ESPN, 22 teams, instead of only bringing in the 16 playoff teams are going to bring in 22 so uh not i'll read up on the system as quickly as i can but basically any team that is in contention within a few games of those playoff spots are part of this return to action that will be taking place the wide world of sports in orlando and the reason given is that it's to give a little bit of a ramp up time before the uh, postseason begins and then boom the NBA playoffs will start up. So before we get into the situations and who's in what seed and matchups, how good is it to see that, you know, there is a pathway a pathway for sports leagues and sports players unions to, Hey, figure stuff out and get people not only back to work, but, you know, get sports back and show that, there is a way forward in all this. Yeah, it's awesome uh, to see the NBA and also the NHL just get their you-know-what together and find a way to return to play. I mean, I know we're still 
what, six or seven weeks away from the start of the NBA, and we don't have an exact date for the NHL, but we do know both of those sports are going to pick up play, and they will conclude their 2020 seasons, which is just awesome, and the world needs sports right now. Uh, UFC, NASCAR, Korean baseball, Taiwanese baseball, some soccer, it's all been great, but we need uh, the four major American professional sports to come back. Now, as of now, football and college football are expected to start on time, which is great news, but that's still oh, 90 or so days away for college and 95 days away from the NFL, so we obviously still have some time for that. But yeah, uh, tip of the cap to Adam Silver, uh, the NBA Board of Governors, the NBA Players Association for finding a way to set aside their differences and get this season back up and going. And, boy, we didn't hear a whole lot about negotiations or about turmoil or about discourse between both sides in the NBA. They just kind of found a way to get it done, and they're going to be testing players every day, and they're going to be isolating players, and they're finding ways to work out a schedule, and they're going to have a normal postseason. I mean, this is as good as we can get, right? Nothing's perfect, but this is as good as we could get, as good as we could have possibly imagined. And if you would have asked me a month or six weeks ago if we would have NBA basketball picking back up, I would have told you no. And the fact that we're going to have it with 22 teams, but really the only 22 teams that were contending for postseason spots this year, and we're going to have a full postseason with seven-game series and all, uh, that's pretty awesome. That's about as good as you could possibly ask for, given the circumstances, if you're a fan of the NBA. Yeah, I agree. I think any idea of a, quote, fair resolution kind of went out the door when you know, the season shut down. You have to, you're going to find a resolution at some point, but it's not going to please everybody. Even And obviously it didn't please the uh, Portland Trailblazers ownership because they were the sole team voting against this uh, from the 30 owners in this process. But, yeah, I think just the overall return to sports is going to be a positive for everybody. It seems like what we're going to have to figure out is if the in, is if the NBA's methodology for – you know, local containment works, what their process is like if another player were to capture the virus and, you know, what happens over to the, not only the rest of the team, but the rest of the franchise and, and other teams, if one player is caught, what the effects on the league are there. But that's still something that we, you know, we just have to wait on. I think the the other point is just that sports are coming back is, is the real big reason to celebrate here. But you know, looking at it from an NBA perspective and just kind of thinking about it, this is probably the easiest sport to ramp up with. Of course, you know, baseball needs – got to get your arms in shape. That's just a thing about baseball is you have to make sure your arms are conditioned or else you can cause damage. Football is the same way. you got to get used to hitting other people. There's really just no other way to put it. And not to say that basketball is not a physical game, but, you know, it's – a lot more compared to those two sports relying on just pure conditioning. And I'm sure these guys, you know, I've been reading the athletic, reading up on James Harden going and running up mountains in, in Arizona outside Tempe and stuff like that. So it sounds like all these guys have remained ready. This is where, yeah, you'll probably see a little bit of drop in quality early because that's kind of what we've heard and seen from these scores of soccer leagues that are opening up. But I think, you know, just as far as quality of play, I think you'll see a quick return to a high quality of play in basketball just because that's the way the sport works. There's going to be some some things to work out, like, you know, timing and stuff like that because the season's been, what, paused for 
almost two, almost three months. But I think as far as return to normalcy goes, the NBA had the clearest runway and they managed to land it perfectly. But about the actual league, like, hey, Brad, we can talk about games now. Like, <laughs> we can talk about teams and storylines and who's being used and who is shooting well and, and stuff like that. Or at least we'll be able to in a couple of weeks. And we're cheering for playoff teams. We are yeah. both cheering for bonafide, pretty much playoff locks at this point. And, you know, used to about this time, both of our teams were normally eliminated from the playoffs, <laughs> save for two times in our franchise's history. It's in the past, what, 25, 26 years. Mm-hmm. Normally by this time, we're eliminated from the playoffs. Now it's early June, and we're about to start talking about the NBA playoffs again. I, I'm excited. I'm excited for the Rockets' chances because – I just want to see the experiment either be proven or totally disproven. I'm ready to have that data. And I kind of want to see how just how good this LeBron Lakers team is as well. Those are the two things that are kind of on my mind as an NBA fan uh, watching all this play out. Yeah, I'm excited about all of it, but just watching basketball again and not going to the JCC or going to the YMCA to watch basketball. I mean, watching legit NBA basketball, we should be in the midst of the finals right now. We're getting close to the very end of the NBA finals, and it's going to end up being about four and a half months without the association and God, it's felt like much longer than that, but it's going to be so glorious, so beautiful when it comes back. And yeah, it might be a little rusty at first, but that's why they're playing those eight regular season games, obviously for playoff seating, but also just to get some jitters out. And there's talk that they might play a couple of like preseason type games or scrimmage type games even before the regular season begins. So I'll be curious to see if they get that done as well. But whatever they do, hopefully by the time the postseason comes around, guys are pretty damn close. I don't know if they're going to be 100%. Hell, maybe they'll be better since they had four months off. Maybe they'll be fresher. They basically got gifted a free off season in the middle of the season. So maybe guys will be in better shape. Their bodies will be healthier. They'll be less worn down. Maybe the product could be even better than what it was or what it would have been for a normal postseason. But regardless, yeah, it's going to be fun to watch. So many storylines, right? I mean, if this happened over the last three or four years, like we still would have known Golden State's coming out of the West, and uh, you know, until last year, we would have known LeBron and the Cavs are coming out of the East. But because no one's quite sure, right? Is it the Lakers? Is it the Rockets? Is it the Clippers coming out of the West? I mean, what about Denver? Uh, there, there's plenty of teams who actually have a shot this year in the East. Is it Milwaukee's turn? What about Toronto? They've been really good without Kawhi. Boston's in the mix as well, and yet, like, you can make a case that a lot of teams, and way more than what we've seen in the last decade or so, actually have a chance to make runs in the postseason. So all of those storylines that we were talking about and getting excited for at the beginning of the, uh, beginning of the month of March when all of this started, uh, those conversations are about to pick back up, which is uh, pretty damn spectacular, Joe. I, I can't wait, man. I, I wish we could simulate to July 31st, <laughs> but at least we have a concrete date, something to look forward to for the return of sports in this country. Exactly, and even maybe even more importantly for Adam Silver is it might get the basket. It might, excuse me, it may get the normal summer baseball bump of being the only show in town for a little bit. So it's going to be a lot of eyes on the NBA, a lot of fun. And man, I like I said, I'm just ready for the data. I'm ready to know if the great Maury three D experiment with 
Russell Westbrook and no center works, or if it's going to be, uh, you know, maybe maybe time for something else. And then at the same time, going up north to Dallas, like this is about to be what this should be Luca's first playoff appearance, mm-hmm. right? Yep. If they missed last year. Like that's that in and of itself is exciting, not just for the city of Dallas and Mavs fans, but for the game of basketball. That is wild to me. And then of course you have. Uh, the storylines in San Antonio where this is still Pop's team. This is still the Spurs franchise, but it's, you know, the, the players that made this franchise, they're not on the bench anymore, except if you're Tim Duncan, who's an assistant coach. This is a completely different team. This is basically trying to piece together a playoff appearance with a team that knows it probably is better served by getting a better draft pick, but won't ever admit that because it's not in their DNA. So, there's plenty of varying storylines going on in the NBA, not only across the country, but just in Texas. And so uh, it should be a real exciting, you know, lead up if the Spurs end up making the playoffs. Nah, they, they won't. They don't have a chance. And plus there was news that dropped within the last, I don't know, hour or so that LaMarcus Aldridge is done for the year. He's getting some kind of surgery. Oh. Actually, he had it on April 24th, apparently. Uh, but they just announced today that he had surgery on his right shoulder half an hour ago, so he's not going to be back. Spurs are four games out of a playoff spot right now with only eight to go. I hate to count them out. I mean, it's every year we've been alive, they're seemingly in the playoffs, Joe, but uh, it seems like that surf, uh, that streak, that ridiculously impressive streak of consecutive postseason appearances will finally come to an end in San Antonio, and as a Mavs fan, that might be my favorite part of the entire comeback of the NBA. I thought that Spurs streak was going to continue. Because you know next year, if Pop's coaching, they're going to be back in the mix, and they're going to find a way to contend for a playoff spot. So I thought, ah, the season's canceled due to COVID, and the Spurs postseason streak will stay alive, and they're going to make it next year, and they're about to start another dynasty. And sorry, Mavs and Rockets fans, you're going to have to deal with these fools again. But uh, that might be the best part of the league coming back, to watch that streak come to an end, Joe. No, 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 uh, no pettiness there. No bitterness there, right? I was, I was literally about to say, I'm not sure if I've achieved that level of, of pettiness <laughs> quite yet. But man, that's about all I've got. We've covered uh, sports, society, the intersection of them all, and things coming back. I think we've uh, hit the week's topics pretty well. Anything else you got? No, man. Just excited to be talking about sports, and happy that. We've got sports on the schedule. By all accounts, Texas football will kick off 89 days from now, and the NFL will start, what, five or six days later with your Texans opening up in KC against the defending champion, Kansas City Chiefs. That's on the schedule. We've got the NBA. We've got the NHL. MLS apparently is getting close if you consider soccer or sports. Everything's doing well except for baseball. We just need baseball to get its head out of its ass so we can uh, be talking about some Summer baseball, that would be nice, but, uh, God, it seems like they're moving further and further away from where they need to get. Definitely. Definitely. All right, that's it. The Wino Podcast, man. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Thanks to all of you for listening. Once again, major shout-out to our sponsors, Audiovisual Consultations and Altstad Beer. Give Joe a follow on Twitter at JosephCook89. Of course, check out the great work that he and the entire team at Inside Texas does at InsideTexas.com. Follow me on Twitter at Brad Kellner. Listen to the Triple Option with RBKD weekdays from 3 till 7 p.m. on the Horn and HornFM.com. Once again, shoot us an email, everyone. 
gets a trophy at gmail.com. That's the number one. Everyone gets a trophy at gmail.com. Please like, please share, please rate, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you are listening to this podcast. Thanks so much. Until next time, y'all have a good one. Be safe, be healthy out there, and hook them.